This is Radio Sega, and you are now listening to The Sega Lounge. Join the conversation in the IRC chat room by going to radiose.ga slash IRC and on Twitter by mentioning at Radio Sega or using the hashtag the Sega Lounge. Hello everyone, welcome to the Sega Lounge. You're listening to Radio Sega and this is the Sega Lounge. Uh, actually, the second episode of Season 2 of the Sega Lounge. And this is the first time this season uh, we're doing uh, uh, the show live, so yay! Um, I, I, know th- I know this is quite a shock, but yes, we are live once. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's been a while, so... Uh, and apparently, we need to apologize to PunkGamer69, who was listening to Daytona Music uh, on the 24-7 stream, and we... <laughs> Uh, apparently interrupted the good music. Maybe we'll just leave and return tomorrow or something. I'm sorry. No, I'm joking. Uh, game over, yeah. <laughs> game over, yeah. That's Segarelli, but okay. Um, uh, <laughs> They're both racing games, though. Actually, Daytona is uh, G-A-M-E-O-V-E-R or something. Never mind. Uh, so, I'm Casey, I'm left from Portugal, and all the way in the US, I have my main man, Donnie. Hello, Donnie. Hi, I, I, it's been rather warm here for some reason, I guess that's what happens when seasons change, but considering most of the season was not winter-like, I'm kind of surprised that the weather is kind of adapting finally. Yeah, that's kind of poetic in a way. Seasons change and stuff, uh, but yeah. Just like our show. Yeah, <laughs> second season. Uh, nice plug there. So, tonight, um, we're joined by a very, very special guest. I know I say this every week, but yeah, this is, this is uh, really an honor for us. Um, so tonight on the Sega Lounge, we have Greg Johnson. Hello, Greg. Hi there. Welcome Hello. to the show. Welcome to the show. Um, so yeah, uh, of course, tonight we'll be talking about Toe and Earl. Uh, so Greg Johnson is, of course, obviously, as all, as all of you know, uh, the co-creator of Toe and Earl. Um, we'll be talking about the series, uh, we'll be talking about Greg's history with video games and stuff, and we'll be uh, also mentioning the Kickstarter project that is underway, and if you haven't donated yet, why not? Why not pledge? Why not go to the Kickstarter page and pledge? You can do it now, or during the show. But yeah, we'll be talking about that. If you want to send us some questions uh, during the show, you can join us, as our uh, very special announcer said in the beginning. You can go to radiose.ga forward slash IRC. That's radiose.ga forward slash IRC. And just click click the link, and you'll be with us in the IRC chat room. Uh, Then you can double-click either my name, or uh, Donnie's, so that's KC or SSF1991 and send us some questions for for Greg and we'll try to squeeze them in during the show Uh, you can also mention at Radio Sega on Twitter uh, or use the hashtag the Sega Lounge and we'll also be checking that during the show so uh, you can also send us some questions via Twitter yeah, so hmm Let's see, I think I, I 
covered all, everything. Let's just say hello to people in the IRC. Let's say hello to Trigon, World 21, Voice, CTR, Esper K, Fluffy Foxy. Uh, awesome name. Uh, JX2001, PunkGamer69, Spinnik, TCB, Dracky, and Tweeny. So, hello everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us for this edition of the Sega Lounge. Well, I think that's all. So, let's start um, just chatting with Greg. So, how are you, Greg, by the way? <laughs> uh, I'm good, thanks. I'm pretty. Um, things are pretty hectic, as I'm sure you have heard probably many times before uh, from people doing Kickstarters. It's a little overwhelming and um, it's kind of like an extended sprint, you know, um, and we've got eight days left to go till the end of it. So things have just been uh, very intense, but um, but good. So, so tired, a little scattered, but um, feeling good. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, so I think most people should know who you are by now, but... Um uh, let us just uh, would you like to just talk a bit about your history with video games how it all started um, uh, yeah how did you end up doing video games for a living sure yeah I can give you a quick rundown I started um, doing video games back in uh, gosh 1981 I think when I graduated from uh, UC San Diego with my degree in biolinguistics and at that time, video games were really a new thing. You know, it was the um, era of the Atari 800 and the Commodore 64. People weren't playing games yet on um, PCs. And it was, you know, the days of the arcades. Uh, it was a little past Pong when people were playing, like, vector graphics. Remember those old, like, um, uh, Space Wars games and tank games in the uh, bowling alleys. <laughs> That's where you played video games in those days. It wasn't even um, really, they didn't even have um, arcades yet, uh, like video game arcades. It was all like in bowling alleys. And um, so, uh, yeah, so I started um, building a game for a, um, a very small new uh, game company called Electronic Arts. They just had like... Um, I don't know, 30 people or so in the company, and um, I was taken under the wing of a uh, of one of their early artists named Paul Ritchie, who these days runs Toys for Bob, and you probably know of them. They um, they did do Skylanders, <laughs> among other things, and um, Paul and Fred Ford, uh, they run that company together and have been really good friends for decades. And uh, Paul, uh, he... Um, he helped me get started, um, and I got started with this group of people building a game um, for EA called Starflight. Uh, the group was Binary Systems, and none of us had ever made a game before. Kind of nobody, <laughs> nobody really had, <laughs> except for Paul and a few other people. Um, and uh, so we just sort of made it up as we went along, <clears throat> and. Um, and I've been making games since then as an independent uh, game developer. It's been kind of rough at times. You know, I've seen the industry change a lot over the last three decades. Um, yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, and it's not always been easy to stay independent. Um, and uh, uh, But um, I could list off all the games I've worked on, but I, I'm, I'm kind of 
I don't want to talk too long in a single stretch. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I, I, you mentioned you had a degree in uh, biolinguistics, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. How do you go from that to making video games? Oh, you know, um, you know, there actually you can get degrees in biolinguistics these days. It has become a field. Back when I um, was in college, that didn't exist yet either. And um, I, I, I kind of made up my own degree. I was really interested in language theory and in um, sort of cognitive AI um, and sort of what happens when we think and when we speak and um, so uh, so I, um, I pursued that I made up a, my own major and um, in a way it's not that different from um, it not that far from games um, in the sense that um, what I studied had a lot to do with artificial intelligence and I was really interested in kind of the magic of computers in that case as it related to communication and thinking but um, I've always been fascinated by uh, games too when I was in college it was also uh, the days when Dungeons and Dragons first uh, came out you know and that was um, that was probably like 1979 or something like that um, when the first D&D books were coming out and that whole idea of shared role-playing kind of came into existence and I was fascinated by that and um, as you've probably heard me say before I was also fascinated by the game of Rogue that I played on the mainframe computers at school so um, I'm sure it was all kind of tied together but I never intended to do games as a career I planned to do communication research with marine mammals. I worked um, in college for a place called Scripps Institute that's in San Diego. Um, they, it's an oceanographic uh, research um, facility that's... Um, uh, and that was my plan. I was going to go work with dolphins and whales and do communication research, and I thought I would take a year or two before I went to grad school and just... Um, do games for a while and as life has a funny way of doing you know it um, <laughs> took me down a different kind of unexpected path and so you could um, have en ended up doing echo the dolphin yeah that's right it's funny <laughs> but yeah when echo the dolphin came out and i know you know ed Anunziata, um he's a friend of mine or was in those days i i i don't talk to him or see him much anymore these days very occasionally um But, but um, yeah, when that game came out, it really struck a chord with me. And I was like, oh, dang, I wish I had made that one. <laughs> you know, it was exactly the kind of thing that was right up my uh, area of interest. And I loved it, too. I, I remember I bought a whole bunch of copies and gave them all to friends. And um, I thought it was just a wonderful game. Although it, it was kind of hard. It got really hard and I got stuck. <laughs> I couldn't get past a certain point in it but we I all still did, loved it we all did. yeah back in the day yeah, yeah. Uh, actually it's it's a really different game to Toja Mineral so it's it's a more serious game right the whole, the whole the, even the, the, the soundtrack the, the the sound effects and everything has nothing to do with the whole funkiness and uh, the funny feeling that uh, Toja Mineral have right 
Yeah, that's true. It is well, it is definitely kind of more serious, and they went for kind of the realistic kind of beauty angle that, and I think did a great job with that. You know, uh, and um, it, there, there was the whole game side to it where you're trying to solve the all of the the, the physical, um, yeah. you know, side scrolling, ob- getting around the obstacles game, and then there's the story side of it. And there's a pretty deep story in it, but then the part that I really enjoyed the most was just swimming around. You know, just the physicality of and the fantasy of being a dolphin and uh, you know leaping up out of the water and um, that kind of thing. I I just absolutely adored that, and I I, I remember not <laughs> kind of ignoring a lot of the. The game and just swimming around because I like being a dolphin. Yeah, I, I, I remember doing that as well, <laughs> especially since I got stuck so in, in some of the levels. So I ended up just swimming and jumping out of the water and, and stuff. I, I'm not sure if have you played the the Dreamcast Echo game, the Defender of the Future. Yeah, I don't think I have. It's been so many years. It's possible, but I don't remember that. Yeah, Ed, well, Ed, Ed wasn't uh, associated with that game, but the the feeling of swimming and controlling a dolphin and everything was still there. So it was one of my favorite Dreamcast games, actually. Oh, I'm sure I'd like that. Then. Yeah, yeah, you should try. Uh, it. I, I don't remember one. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, but we're not here to talk about Echo the Dolphin, although uh, it's, it's an amazing game and series, but no, not the subject t- tonight. Um, so you ended up doing uh, Toe Jam and Earl, right? So you had an idea. What, what inspired you to create the, the first Toe Jam and Earl game and, and even the characters and the, the story and everything? What was your main inspiration? Oh, you know, um, well, prior to doing Toe Jam and Earl, I had done a couple really big um, space exploration RPG type games, Starflight 1 and Starflight 2. And, um, you know, you'll notice a certain uh, commonality there with the whole space alien theme. <laughs> But, um, I, you know, when. Um, Those were very uh, kind of epic. They, you know, they were those games were kind of also lighthearted and funny and a lot of weird, crazy alien cultures and and stuff. But um, they were there was not much sort of arcade style play in in them, and they were very heavily story based. And um, I remember feeling like I wanted to do something much. Uh, lighter and just kind of more fun and blow off some steam and um, and so for me that meant making it musical and making it just really kind of silly and um, even just kind of to the point of being kind of crazy you know with all that stuff that just got tossed into Toe Jam and Earl so um, so yeah so I, I met Mark Borsanger he was introduced to me by a mutual friend um, when we were on a walk up on top of a mountain here in Marin And uh, as we walk, I accept for this uh, fun, crazy, light-hearted game. And um, he had just finished uh, doing some projects. I think it was for ColecoVision, and was looking for something to do. And uh, I guess it sort of just struck his um, 
his funny bone in the right way and he liked where it was all headed and said yeah let's go for it and let's do it together and um we uh yeah and that's how it started then we took it straight to straight to sega after we um you know did a little bit of artwork and wrote up some ideas and we went and pitched it there to hugh bowen and um and al nelson and scott burfield those were the the guys who were there at um, Sega in the early days. And and I believe... Yeah. Oh, oh, oh we're back, we're back. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, sorry about that. Not sure what happened, but I believe we just... I just lost you. Or you just lost me. Not sure. But yeah. I, yeah. We're back. I, I we're think back. your uh, I think your your uh, signal wanted to go help them out with the game at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, as so you were did saying, you yeah. Lost, did you want me to repeat? No, no. You, you said you were saying you you pitched the game to Sega, so and they they enjoyed it as well. You enjoyed the idea. Yeah, uh, um, as far as we could tell, you know, um, we got lots of smiles and um, uh, while we were pitching it and a few laughs, we talked about, you know, the whole premise of the, these aliens coming to Earth and um, just being kind of shocked and amazed by all these insane, crazy Earthlings. And, um, and we talked about Rogue, of course, and the play mechanics and... Um, we made a, uh, a set of three by five cards all colored in with um, the different terrain tiles and I sat there on uh, Hugh's floor and put them together in different ways to show how to build randomly and um, they were looking for new, um, new products at the time and um, new characters in particular. They wanted some strong characters that they could uh, have in their lineup and um, yeah, yeah. So they could the, go against and they Nintendo. Just said, this sounds like a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So against Nintendo, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They wanted to go against Nintendo, so I, I think this was a well. One of the, I think everyone looks back to the Genesis or Mega Drive, like they called it over here. And one of the games that uh, most people remember fondly is So Geminor. Um, because it was so different from anything that uh, was uh, being released at the time, especially on, on Nintendo consoles. So, yeah, and you know it didn't do very well, right, initially? <laughs> you yeah. heard that too. Yeah, that's the, the funny, the funny bit because I think most people that I uh, know, I, I'm uh, 31 years old, almost 30. But uh, so I grew up in the, in the 80s, 90s with the the, the Mega Drive, the Genesis, and uh, I never owned the game myself uh, at the time, back in the day. Uh, but I remember having lots of friends that owned a Toe Jam and Earl, and that was one of the games that everyone. Uh, talked about uh, when we mentioned the Sega consoles was Sonic mm. and a few people mentioned Echo as well but Toad Jam and Earl was one of the games that I remember hearing friends talk about so I never owned the game but played it with friends uh, back in the day and um, so it, it, it surprised me a bit when I heard that the game didn't sell that much in the beginning 
Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting to hear your experience. I, I um, heard, you know, a lot of different stories, and um, of course, it's kind of hard even to remember now with this many years having gone by for a lot of people. But um, it did, um, it, you know, it did eventually get a lot of awareness out there. I think it did really well as a rental game, and so it got a lot of exposure eventually. But um, yeah, those first, uh, especially the first six months after we came out, it was just, um, and even the first year, it just didn't um, take off. It was a very slow, uh, slow growth kind of curve. And you know, there were uh, there were two different markets: the European one and the American one, because uh, Sega did much better in Europe than they did in the U.S. Uh, overall. I think we didn't have at least over here in Portugal um, we didn't have uh, I, I, I can't remember a single place where I could rent games so we, we had to buy them <laughs> so oh that's interesting yeah, yeah. right that does I, make I really sense I, 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 I hear everyone in the UK and the US talking about how they rented video games back in the day I don't remember a single place I could do that back in the day over here back in the day over here but uh, I had to buy all the games that I wanted to play or Uh, borrow them from friends so that's probably why I think it probably did better over here than in some other places yeah you know what I actually remember and this could be wrong but I I, um, I think I remember it uh, not doing so well in Europe with the one exception of the UK I think ToeJam Monero was actually very popular in the UK almost as popular as it was in the US and um, there was something about the humor that seemed to uh, strike a chord with um, with British people but um, I'm, I'm really curious to hear what your perceptions are for Portugal yeah. and um, I, I'm next never heard anything about that market and don't don't didn't even I don't know, know there I, I was think any we, awareness i think we just bought everything that came out on the, on the genesis so uh, <laughs> that's actually what happened but yeah i can see the point yeah the the humor wasn't for everyone i, I believe yeah. I, i believe yeah it, um, it didn't really strike too yeah. strong of a chord in japan apparently i i, I can I, see that I the culture was was a bit different i, I can see that yeah I can see I can uh, if the game was released now it would probably have a more broad appeal than back in the day but I, I, um, the reason I think uh, where I thought the game did well over here was because we just bought a- anything that uh, came out for a Sega console at the time just like Nintendo fans did with Nintendo consoles and their games but I'm not sure I don't have any data to support my my uh, <laughs> statement so I don't know <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. okay. That's cool. Okay. Um, so, uh, but uh, what, what was your uh, original idea? What made you think of uh, two aliens that uh, crashed, crash landed on, on Earth and had to um, get all the parts to their spaceship and everything? What was the inspiration behind that? Um, you know, it's hard to say when you talk about creative inspiration. Oftentimes, um, that comes from parts of your uh, subconscious that you don't really... It's usually not a um, kind of an analytical process or sort of very causal one that you go through. So you kind of have to 
later on sort of reverse engineer it a little bit and figure out what, why did it just pop out the way it did? Because that's that's often what happens. In fact, that's even kind of what we mean when we say the word inspiration, right? It's just something that just comes yeah. to you, mm-hmm. and and that that is very much the case with with. Toe Jam and Earl, uh, not to make it sound more grandiose than it uh, is or was, you know, it was just a, a funny little idea for a video game, not the, you know, not the cure for um, cancer or Alzheimer's or anything earth-shaking like that. But, um, um, uh, but since you asked, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to answer, it, it um, you know, it, I think it was just a mix of different things of wanting something um, satirical. That's kind of where I came from too, you know, Starflight um, that I worked on both games one and two. And then I worked um, with Paul Ritchie and Fred Ford on their game, Star Control 2. Those were all about um, aliens and sort of satire and making fun of different kinds of... um, Mm-hmm. I hate to say not making fun of different kinds of people, but different kinds of characters um, um, and character types as uh, as embodied in the different alien races and speaking in funny different voices of those different races and different perspectives on the world. And so Toe Jam and Earl was kind of more of the same. You know, it was them looking at um, humans and uh, earthlings as... Uh, you know, in a sort of satirical light yeah, of, yeah, yeah. you know, looking, sort of standing back and looking at ourselves. And that was just happened to get sort of smushed together with my own personal sensibilities when it comes to, um, you know, funky music and cooperative play and um, lighthearted, sort of colorful, funny stuff. And one of the guiding principles that I had as I was coming up with things for the game was um, what what gets a response from people? Like, what is it that immediately engenders sort of a visceral and emotional response? And if I, and if I thought it would get trigger a response, I tossed it into the game. So, for example, you know, the sound of an ice cream in trucks um, music. I don't know if that's meaningful in, actually, in Portugal, if you even have those, but... Uh. Yeah, not 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 unusual, uh, a, a usual thing. Yeah, growing up in the U.S., it's a very very distinctive sound. You hear that tinkling music; it's always the same, and you go running down the street. Yeah, we, we know or, about it from from the movies. Yeah, okay. So you know we're what we're actually we we actually are quite knowledgeable about the U.S. and U.K. culture uh, because oh. of the movies and all the TV shows. Yeah, Most of them right. yeah, that makes are sense, aired I here, guess. so it's, it's, yeah, it's all over the media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you know, or the dentist drill sound that sort of makes you cringe, you know, <laughs> the minute you hear that, or a telephone ringing, you know, you immediately feel like you have to answer it if you hear a telephone, <laughs> which is different these days. In those days, it was the same ring on every phone, yeah, and we were all conditioned, you know, to to look for a phone as soon as you hear that ringing sound and um, and a lot of other stuff that you can sort of I can go down the list of things that just kind of got tossed into that game things you know that were sort of struck some sort of lower level emotional chord um, 
you know, the boogie boogie boogeyman <laughs> two that, you know, kids grow up with. <laughs> and Santa Claus, you know, and presents, all the, all that stuff. That's that's why it's in there. It's just because I thought um, I was looking for things that people would just sort of react to at a more um, emotional level. That's actually interesting. Yeah, that's a nice idea. <laughs> I was going to ask something, but I, I forgot. I'm so professional. A question came up in my mind, but I just forgot about it. Uh, so let's get back to the, the ones that I have written down already. Uh, no, I, I tend to ramble on and on. It's not the first time people have forgotten the questions. No, it's I, okay. It's, it's, it's not the first time I forget it either. So. Later, I'm done. Casey and Don panic on Radio Sega coming soon to... Yeah, next, next, next game in the series. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, moving along, um, moving uh, away from the, the first game. So, uh, oh, actually, I, I just don't panic. I remember um, you mentioned the co-op. Um, was the co-op uh, going to be implemented uh, originally in the game, or did you come up with it during uh, while in development? Because I think, uh, as if I'm not, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was one of the first, if not the first, games that that had uh, that uh, split-screen co-op thing uh, mechanics uh, implemented. Yeah, you know, as far as I'm aware, it was. Um, I, I I hesitate to say it was the first split-screen game, but in terms of that dynamic split-screen where it kind of came together mm -hmm. and, and yeah. apart, I think. I think we were the first ones to do that. Uh, at least I, I wasn't aware of any others at the time when, um, when I suggested that to Mark and asked him if uh, he could pull that off. Um, and uh, I don't know, you may have heard this too, but he looked into it and was told by Sega, the technical folks at Sega, that that wasn't possible and he wouldn't be able to do it. So yeah. Uh, Props to him, you know, for proving <laughs> them wrong, um, and even for trying in the face of that. That's, that I think that's uh, always something I'm impressed with when I think about that. But um, in terms of the co-op nature of the game, that that was right there at the very beginning. Like um, when I first thought about it, um, it was something that I wanted, uh, and it was because I had wanted that when I was playing the road game that I used to play and something I used to wish I'd had because I wanted to be able to share that um, experience and um, go into the dungeon with somebody and uh, uh, and so when I first thought of the Toe Jam and Earl game uh, that was a part of it and, and I remember telling Mark about that too and us talking about how fun that would be and um, And it made the development a lot more fun, too, you know. Um, that in conjunction with a randomly generated world, um, which is different every time you play, makes development a lot more fun. You can sit there and play with your partner, um, you know, without getting tired of playing the same level for the 140th time, which is more often the case in, uh, you know, games with fixed levels. So. Um, so it was a real blast, you know, to develop the game. And I think if you have fun while you're developing, that translates into 
a game that's ultimately more fun to play too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so um, I think it's about time we, we do a quick music break, uh, and when we get back, we have more with Greg. Um, we'll play a couple of remixes, actually. Uh, one of them was sent to me by Greg. I'm not sure who the who the composer or the remixer is of the one you sent me, Greg. Oh, uh, from today? Yeah. No, oh, no, yeah, the other that... one. The other one. The other one. The the remix. Oh, the remix. Oh, I see. Yeah, um, that is Burke Trishman. He's, he's, he, he worked with me on, um, actually on all, all of my games for the last 20 years, probably. But he's, um, he did the audio for, uh, Toe Jam and Earl 3. And he did, um, he did this remix, which okay. is pretty, pretty fun. Awesome. So we'll play that, but before we have a, a remix by Jay Rabbit. So don't go anywhere, we have more with Greg in a few minutes. We'll be right back.
listening to Radio Sega, playing the best Sega music 24-7. Alright everyone and we're back uh, for the second half of the Sega Lounge tonight with special guest Greg Johnson. Hello again Greg. Hello. Or, or should I should I say uh, Zikwat? Alright. <laughs> so you can call me Zikwat. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that in a bit, but uh <laughs> before the uh, when we're doing this music break and by the way people let me know if you enjoyed the this second remix we played. Um, because this was sent to me by Greg a couple of days ago, so let me know if you enjoyed the funkiness. Uh, but when we were off air, uh, Greg was telling me that he did a, a few videos for the Disney Channel, so would you like to share that with the audience? Um, sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, as I'm sure anyone knows that has played Toe Jam and Earl, um, music and funky music is uh, a big part of what I love, and that's why it ended up being such a major part of the game. And um, many years ago, <clears throat> uh, I, um, you know, had I'm, I'm a parent, have two kids, and when my kids were young, um, especially my son, when he was four, he was a total um, train fanatic, and um, we were looking for music uh, and couldn't find any music that would, wouldn't drive us up the wall. I don't know if anybody <laughs> out there is a parent, you'll know that when your kids uh, find music that they like, they want to hear it over and over and over again. And um, there's actually a lot of good kids music out there these days, but um, back 10 years ago, it was really hard to find. It was sort of the days of Barney the Dinosaur and... Uh, 
the Wiggles, they were really big. They, they weren't too bad, but a lot of kind of sort of in, sort of insipid kids' music um, was around. So anyway, um, I came up with a bunch of songs in the same way that I had come up with uh, Toe Jam and Earl songs and, um, and uh, created uh, a bunch of um, songs with some very talented musician friends. Um, Burke, the fellow I just mentioned, who just did the song that you just played. He worked with me on the music, and then um, Genevieve Goings, who did the voice work in Toe Jam and Earl 3. She did um, pretty much all of the female voices in that game. Um, and, um, and then DC, uh, sort of a friend who does beatboxing, um, we made this album, uh, funky music that was kind of educational. It's called Choo Choo Soul and, uh, sent it off to Disney and they, they loved it and happened to be good timing and turned it into a bunch of music videos. So that's been airing, they've been airing as interstitial, which is to say between mm -hmm. the shows in the mornings on Saturday and Sunday and I don't even know when <laughs> anymore but they um, yeah they're still airing as far as I know although they've added a bunch of new uh, new songs where they're doing sort of remakes of Disney classics that aren't quite so funky anymore so uh, it may not be terribly funky if you're hearing the newer stuff but yeah that's out there still Choo Choo Soul and you can sweet. find it actually if you google it you'll find a lot of Choo Choo Soul videos and um, you can even get it on Amazon if people like it. It's still, um, the, the CD is for sale on Amazon. You'll see my son dancing around in there when he was four. <laughs> he's, four he's 14 now. He's, I'm he sure he won't be happy dance. if we look at the videos. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he gets oh, embarrassed. Dad. But, uh, yeah, she's all. <laughs> So it's Choo Choo Soul. Yeah, you'll recognize it immediately as soon as you'll hear it. You'll go, oh, that sounds just like Toe Jam and Earl. Because <laughs> it comes all from the same place. That's really interesting. So a couple of questions regarding the other two games. Um, so we, we talked about the, the original game, Toe Jam and Earl. Then we had uh, Panic on Funkatron. Uh, it was a little bit different from the original uh, formula. Why was that? Oh, well, um, I'm sure this will be a familiar story, uh, but I'll, I'm happy to tell you again, and I'll try to <laughs> make it <laughs> concise if I can. Uh, basically, as we said, sales on the game on game one weren't doing so well. Sega was a little bit nervous about that, and we were embarking on the second game, and um, they asked us if we would switch gears and uh, do what they were more used to selling, um, which was, you know, action-y, side-scrolling platformer games. That was pretty much the mainstay of Sega and their market in those days. And, um, you know, uh, like you, you already alluded to, we were pretty far outside the box. We were pretty different than the other stuff. And um, that's fine when, when you're selling well. When you're not, uh, it all of a sudden, you know, becomes a real... Um, a, a real detriment and the marketing department it starts feeling like they can't sell the game and aren't sure what to do with it so so that's what happened they asked mm -hmm. us if we would uh, you know change our plan and deliver that kind of game instead and so we 
Um, we're a little reluctant at first, as you could imagine, because it meant throwing away um, several months of work that we had already done. But, oh, I didn't um, know that. Ultimately, we... So you, already, you, know, you had already started working on the, the second one being similar to the first game? That's right, oh. yeah. We had gotten about three months in, I, I think. And, um, yeah, so we just had to kind of toss that out and... Um, And it was quite a challenge, but it was kind of a fun challenge, too, to try to figure out how to make, um, take the spirit of Jam and Earl, which was one of exploration and discovery and cooperation, and turn that into a, um, you know, an action-y side-scrolling game that wasn't just going to be uh, typical, because that was the last thing Mark and I wanted Jam and Earl to be perceived as, um, as just another typical um, platformer. So we um, we applied ourselves and worked hard to make it as weird and uh, interesting as we could, you know. So we stuck in all that, um, lots and lots of secret places and sliding on the snow and ice and swimming underwater and bouncing on the fungus and the hyper funk zone and, yeah. uh, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff um, that we, we could come up with. And we worked with, um, um, Kirk Henderson, who did the artwork, and Evan Wells, who um, runs uh, a company, Naughty Dog, these days, and we um, hired him straight out of school at Stanford. He um, had just gotten his his degree, I think, in industrial design or something like that, and he and I designed levels together. So. Yeah, I read about it. That, that's yeah. really interesting. Didn't know that. <laughs> Was when I was uh, researching for the, the interview, I read something about Evan Wells doing work on Intogen too. So that, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, he's a very talented guy. These days, I don't think he gets to actually do much game design because he's running uh, this, you know, massive yeah. company yeah. and he has to do a lot of sort of businessy stuff. That's often what happens. That's what happened. That's kind of my, the same boat, my friend Paul is in over at Toys for Bob, too. Uh, you know, it's kind of a two-edged sword when you get your a lot of success and your company really grows. Uh, you end up being moved, whether you like it or not, out of the design role and into kind of more of a management and business role. Yeah, yeah. That's just what happens. Mm -hmm. So, um, you, I know you've mentioned this before on other interviews, uh, but... Um, There were mixed reactions, right? So some people uh, love Toadjam and Earl, some people love Toadjam and Earl Panic on Funkatron. And uh, there are mixed reactions when it comes to which game everyone prefers. Um, what do you get now that you're doing this uh, fourth game and uh, the Kickstarter project? Um, which of these groups of people approach you more to say that they love Toadjam? The ones that played the, the second game, the platformer game, or the ones that played the first one? Oh, you know, um, I'd say it's probably about um, what, maybe 65% game one, 35% game two, and maybe 5%. Um, uh, Is that, what does that add up to? <laughs> no, sorry, my math isn't very good. But, uh, 
Um, I, th- I yeah, think we're, we're just those numbers a little bit. I, I don't know what, if that's even accurate. Probably not even five percent. Maybe three percent. I get uh, for game three of people that um, are say that's their favorite game. But uh, but yeah, it's mostly game one that I hear about. But um, there are a lot of game two fans out there, and it mainly is just a matter of which game they played first. You know, if people played game two first then that tends to be the one that they um, are more attached to. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I, I, personally, I played game one first, but uh, it didn't really click with me at the time. Then I played uh, the second one, loved it. And uh, recently, I got back to game one and loved it as well. So, it's... Mm, that's interesting. It's, never played the third one, though. Never owned an Xbox, so try the uh, to Gemini all three but uh, yeah I'm not sure which one I, I enjoyed the most probably game two because I have uh, fondest, the fondest memories of that game uh, back in the day when I was growing up but uh, I really learned to enjoy the first game now that I'm older you know I'm not sure it's 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 got anything to do with age but I don't know yeah no I've heard that story actually fairly um, frequently and um It's, um, you know, you have to be kind of in the right frame of mind to enjoy game one and have, um, and be, um, you kind of have to slow your clock down a little bit. Uh, it's a slower paced game, as I'm sure you remember, at least, um, uh, through large parts of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's why, too, especially people coming to it after playing game two, which is a much faster game. Um, it can be kind of, I, I've heard fairly often from those people that they feel like game one is kind of too slow and too boring, um, but, um, but yeah, it offers a different kind of pleasure, a different kind of fulfillment. That's one of the things that I think makes it, um, uh, people are a little bit at odds with each other because they're, you know, you're kind of comparing apples and oranges a little bit. It's a different, um, different kind of gameplay experience, so you get different things out of it, and you can't be looking for the same thing, so you, because you won't find them in either game. And you, you know what I mean, right? Because yeah. you said you played both games. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I, I think you, yeah, that that's about, sounds about correct, according to my ex- own experience. Mr. Mixuplex actually uh, uh, sent us a, a really interesting question. Assuming Sega wasn't that guy... <laughs> And requested the second game to be a side-scroller, uh, so assuming they didn't do that, how would the second game actually be? Hmm, yeah, I don't know, I've wondered that too. Um, uh, it's, it, as soon as you uh, shift gears and start thinking about a new game, you don't, um, you know, you kind of throw yourself all in, and we, we only got a few months into the first game, and didn't have a very complete design for it. We were sort of making it up as we went along and we had built in some some snow and ice and I remember some new mechanics of sliding around on the ice and we built in some, you know, walls and mazes like areas and some we were working on um, caves and going sort of into, into places and we remember talking about having um, houses that you could go inside of and um, we, uh, and beyond that, I can't really remember, you know, it's just, 
I'm sure there was more that we had talked about and were planning on, but um, this is 23 years ago. Yeah. So, um, and you probably uh, used some of those ideas on, on Panic on Funkatron. Yeah, that's right. Some of them, um, yeah, some of them made their way into that. I remember game. you could enter some houses, so at mm -hmm. least that. Yeah, and we had snow and ice in that game too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, some of that got carried over for sure. Yeah. Oh boy, 23 years ago, then. It just so happens I'm 20, about to be 23 in a month from now, so. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, right, well. You're our, our little <laughs> Panicon Funkatron. You're uh, Radio Sega's own Panicon Funkatron. Pa Panicon no? Funkatron, I guess. Is well, yeah, imagine remembering back if someone asked you uh, what you were thinking back in the... I guess that would be your very earliest memories, like... <laughs> I, he it's probably to, was thinking... To details from those he days. was probably thinking, milk, or something like that. <laughs> Feed <laughs> me! Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... I mean, it's just... It's just Quite a quite remarkable how everyone just has their own specific story on how they came across uh, the Toy Jam and Roll games and how they were introduced to it. Like uh, there was KC with his story, and of course I learned about it through Sonic of all things. Because well, at the time, at the time that Sega did um, have Sonic and all their franchises, and they were doing this huge marketing at the time. Uh, they used Sonic quite often as a kind of a emotional tool for their other franchises like Toe Jam and Earl. Uh, and I remember in the late 90s, I think it was like 1998, they had this Cheerios commercial. And they had a sweet state where people could get like a, um, uh, the new Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine and Panic on Funkatron. And I remember hearing about both of those games, not just Mean Bean Machine, but Panic on Funkatron. And I'm wondering, wait, what are those games again? I've, I've never heard of those before. I should check those out. And, well, that's how it came to be years later when I saw that commercial after only vaguely remembering what it was saying at the time, because I think it was only six, seven years old back then, and my attention span was kind of horrible. But uh, looking back on that now, I didn't even know that they had been introduced to Toji and Earl at such an early age, and it's quite remarkable even years later how... All it was just, you know, Sonic to get the name out there, and I'm, I'm really glad that they did do stuff like that, because, I mean, it's great to see that Sonic is, you know, a big of a name as it is, but there's also other franchises like Toji and Earl, and I do love playing those games, and it's very fun. And when they use their mascots to help get the word out, it, it's quite a... It was clever to get to do that. Because I, I don't think Nintendo did that with their, uh, their consoles with Mario, like... I don't think they use Mario to promote Zelda or to promote, you know, Metroid or anything like that. So when Sega did that, I always got a nice little—I had a nice little charm with it. Yeah, you know, they were actually, um, I was always impressed with their marketing department um, at Sega. They did a lot of creative stuff. Um, Al Nilsson and um, Madeline Schroeder, who in those days was Madeline Canepa, um, they were kind of running the marketing department and... Um, yeah, and using uh, Sonic to sort of be the front guy to, to get uh, the consumer's attention was, I think, creative. They also had a bunch of um, really fun TV ads, which you might or might not have seen. Some of them have been floating around the internet recently, and I've uh, seen them pop up again, where they uh, 
you know, had some, one of them has a rapper guy <laughs> talking and, and... Oh yeah, that one. And then, like, subtitles down at the bottom because you can't really understand what the heck he's saying and, uh... Um... Yeah, they, uh, I think they did a really good job. It was exciting, too, seeing the ads pop up on the TV and, um, you know, stuff like that. You don't, it's, it's rare when you're a developer, you don't get the luxury of getting to see, uh, television ads for your products unless you're, like, just <laughs> huge, you know, like Skylanders or something like that. Yeah, it's one thing to, you know, see the project being promoted and to play it, but it's also another thing altogether to see it getting developed and just seeing seeing it uh, come to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Actually, one of the things I, I, I think Sega still does right to this day is the crossovers between games. So you were playing, uh, just like now, they uh, released um, Yakuza 0 in Japan last week, and you get to play Outrun and Space Harrier in the arcades. Uh, so I think these crossovers they do in games are in some of their different franchises are is a, a great way of promoting different IPs and series of games they have. Uh, and that's something um, I think Nintendo is starting to do now, actually. <laughs> But uh, Sega has been doing it since the 90s. So it's a interesting way of promoting it. So yep. then we had uh, Toe Jam Emerald 3, uh, the one game I didn't play. So, but um, how did that come to be? Uh, did Sega approach you to do another one? Was it the other way around? Um, it was the other way around, as I recall. We um, we went to them, and um, they were. Uh, Yeah, they were interested, which was which was nice. Um, we didn't have to do too big of a sales job, and um, uh, we worked with. Um, there was a, a company called Visual Concepts that was basically handling Sega's third-party development at the time, and they were the ones who we um, dealt with, interacted with, and um, they were the guys that approved approved it and supported us. So, uh, yeah, and we were just off and running to, to build for the Dreamcast. Um, yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> and people <laughs> yeah, uncovered... Yeah, you know that story, right? We, Sorry? <laughs> we didn't get too far down that road. I mean, they went Sega till, before Sega pulled the plug on the whole Dreamcast thing. Which yeah. Was obviously disappointing. That was disappointing. <laughs> yeah. So, and people uncovered the, uh, an early build of the game for the Dreamcast a couple of years ago, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's um, the magic of the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a um, few emails from some guy, I think, uh, I think he was in Finland or something, a fellow that had found it, and um, really, really nice guy. I don't remember his name, but I was really impressed that he had taken the trouble to track me down and try to get permission to uh, release it and I was really impressed because that's not often people don't often have that much integrity and he yeah. um uh yeah and I I told him that I couldn't give him permission because Mark uh, Vorsanger and I we own the IP but we didn't own the actual assets that mm -hmm. he had found the actual code um 
So we told him we don't have any problem with it as far as the IP goes. So we're never going to sue you, but um, we can't uh, totally give you permission. And um, I, I helped him just bring it to Sega's attention. So they were um, aware of it. And um, I figured that would be much better, you know, than them finding out on their own um, later. And, uh, and um yeah, I don't know if they ever went as far as to give any official permission, but um, the fact that they didn't do anything to stop it, I think, was kind of implicit. They they basically didn't really care as long as um, it wasn't um, making money, you know, as long mm, as yeah. it's kind of a fan-only um, hobbyist kind of thing, then, um, then I think in general publishers are, are fine with that sort of thing so um, that's kind of what happened okay. so um, then after game 3 there was a, a brief hiatus and now you're back with the fourth game so I think it's about time we talk about the, the Kickstarter project um, what made you uh, come back and decide well we need to do a new game a new to general game Oh, um, well, I have been um, um, getting emails. I've, you know, Mark Vorsanger and I have been asked um, periodically over the years for a new Toad Jam and Earl game. There's a lot of fans that have continued to enjoy it and want another um, installment in the series. Um, I have tried over the years, from you know, every now and then, to take another shot at approaching publishers to get development money to make a new version of the game, and I haven't had uh, much luck with that. Uh, because of Kickstarter and the advent of Kickstarter, I've been looking at that for a while as an opportunity to get funding and go ahead and build a game. It, um, it has the additional advantage that was always appealing of being able to um, build the game that I want to build. Um, as you know, we talked about in game two, we kind of changed direction um, at Sega's behest. You know, we made that decision. It wasn't like Sega said, uh, you know, you have to do this, but we wanted to please them. And um, and then in game three, we had um, kind of changed direction again uh, at the request of Sega because um, they were concerned that doing kind of sticking too much to the old formula was going to be too old school and it would only appeal to the old fans and that it wouldn't appeal to new um, new people and that's what their concern was, was new people coming to the game. So now, you know, Kickstarter feels like an opportunity to not have that be an issue. Um, but, you know, that said, um, I have worked um, certainly with publishers before just my last game I worked with uh, Sony on Doki Doki Universe that was released for the yeah. PlayStation mm -hmm. 3, 4 and Vita right? Yep. They were great in terms of um, giving me creative control they, they stepped out and pretty much let me do whatever I wanted and, um, and had a lot of faith in me which I thoroughly appreciated because I did some pretty weird stuff in that game <laughs> It's and, a fun um, game, though. Yeah, so publishers aren't always you know, aren't always 
um, grabbing the creative reins out of your hands, you know, it's, it's, and so it's possible that I may even work with um, some other publishers going forward, even on this new game, if I need additional funding or for uh, ports of the game, but um, I'll just, just try to make sure that we, it's all very clear and in writing that, uh, you know, that I'll get to maintain creative uh, control of the game so I can avoid situations like happened with Games 2 and Games 3. Yeah. Actually, I, I can see where, where they were coming from in regards to Game 3. I think people are now more... Um, there's a whole retro movement out there that wasn't uh, happening in the early 2000s, I think. Yeah. People were yeah, looking you know, for no, 3D games, and now, right? <laughs> yeah, and now, right. now everyone wants to play 2D platformers, to retro games, and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those have been those have been showing up a lot lately in the past few years. So, yeah, yeah, I think that now might actually be a better time for a, a retro style um, game. I think that's very true, and in those days. Um, it's hard to say, you know, it's easy in retrospect always to uh, blame others and to wish that uh, you had taken a different path, but the truth is you just don't know, yeah. and it may have been uh, the right call for them at the time, and um, and it really was their money at risk, so, you know, you can't get too upset about it as much as I, it wasn't really the game that I wanted to make, um, and it was quite honestly confusing for us because you know you're committed to a path and all of a sudden you're asked to like really take a right angle turn and do something different it's disorienting but still I think um, you know they, they it was their they have a responsibility to try to take their make their call as to what they think will sell and what they think the public wants and they're paying for it so kind of got to just go with the flow yeah true yeah and you're still here doing another game so it's yeah. all good it's all good um actually uh some of the questions i've been asking were sent to me uh, let me give a, a big shout out to andy who is uh, another one of our co-hosts but couldn't be here tonight so um and he asked uh what's the plot or story for this new game back in the group oh um well, I had some ideas for a more elaborate storyline, and I could even tell you a little bit about that, and I may pull some of that back in um, to this game. The, at one point, I decided to, um, when my list of all of the game features that I wanted to get in was getting so long, I decided to focus more on game features than on sort of game story. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I simplified the story dramatically and went back to kind of the old school notion of Toe Jam and Earl and their friends uh, Peebo and Luanda. Um, you remember them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you played Panic on Twinkie Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember who they are. Um, yeah, they, they come back to Earth in the spaceship with Toe Jam and Earl um, just to kind of check it out and they've been hearing stories about Earth all these years and um, and as they're in orbit over the planet Toe Jam notices a button on the panel that he wasn't aware of before that says uh, black hole do not press and of course being, <laughs> being Toe Jam 
and and because he's kind of a show off, uh, he uh, he can't resist, and um, and so uh, he basically they basically tear Earth into um, pieces, uh, all these and and create it in sort of this alternate universe, uh, these stacked levels, and they also mess time up, um, which is really just an excuse for me to be able to have some fun and have them um, as they go up in the levels at some point have it start to go back in time because I want to be able to uh, introduce some fun new characters with some new thematic elements and uh, yeah and you know one of the things I might do and I'm just not sure about this um, is I had some kind of deeper ideas about um, the time travel theme earlier and uh, Lamont who is, do you remember Lamont? Who he is? Actually, I don't. <laughs> test, test Actually, question. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I should have played the games before the interview so I could refresh uh, yeah, my memory. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is your Sega Lounge Challenge, Casey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't have a Sega Lounge Challenge, so th this is mine tonight. So. Okay, well, I'll give you a pass on that. Lamont, he's the Funkopotamus, <laughs> the uh, source of all known funk in the universe. They're all oh. punk in the known universe. <laughs> anyway, he, um, he's been trying to spread the funk uh, throughout the universe and has been visiting uh, all these planets, seeding them with funk. And for some reason, uh, Earth has been resistant to the funk. Um, and so maybe as you go back in, in time, you may find some, uh, some clues about why that is or some... Uh, some history about where Lamont <laughs> has been and that kind of thing so that uh, actually sounds interesting that sounds fun so, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, <laughs> one more reason to back up to back this this Kickstarter project so if you haven't backed it already uh, go do it uh, <laughs> yeah please, please help us out if you can yeah. I mean we, we were actually and, you know, even just even help help even just by spreading the word it doesn't need to be money but if people just uh, tweet about it or um, tell their friends or post on Facebook that's also a huge help I mean, that's that's our biggest challenge right now because there's so many Toji Emerald fans out there but not all of them are you know cruising Kickstarter or gaming um, sites where the the news is and in fact. In particular, Toe Jam and Earl, the Toe Jam and Earl audience is um, a non-hardcore gamer audience. There's a lot of casual gamers that play it, the game and have loved it, but it's difficult to reach all those people. Mm -hmm. uh, we're having trouble just getting the word out to them. So just helping spread the word like, uh, like you guys are doing with this radio broadcast, which I really, really appreciate. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, oh, no problem. Pleasure. That's very, very helpful. Yeah. So, so we, yeah. you have about a week to go, and right. you're sitting on uh, $300,010 $310, at the moment, so uh, a little bit over $90,000 to go, right? To meet your goal. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. So, the the thing is, as for uh, every Kickstarter project, uh, people have rewards if they back the project, um, and there are a, a very cool, some very cool rewards uh, to, if you back uh, back in the group, <laughs> the back in the group project. Um, so uh, another reason for you to back this project is because I want my uh, Toe Gemineral figures. 
so I want this to be successful so I can have the Togemino figures and the spaceship and stuff so please uh, help Greg out with some some monies uh, but yeah can you tell us um, uh, briefly what rewards people can uh, have if they back the project oh yeah sure you know there's quite a lot of rewards um, on the site already the Kickstarter site and you'll see them um, you know There's, as you mentioned, there's the Toe Jam and Earl figures, the vinyl figures, and the rocket ship, the Righteous Ratmaster rocket. That, yep. Um, I think are probably the most um, popular and uh, rewards that people are really excited about um, so far. There's also my the my, my wallet isn't very excited about it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I am. But I am. <laughs> My All wallet right. isn't. Is, is, yeah, my well, wallet is crying. So. Uh, you kind of have to have been a real old-time fan to want to have those figures sitting on your shelf or on your desk. Um, um, but I think that's the same for most of this stuff. You know, it's really, um, it's really kind of a nostalgia factor for a lot of it that um, we're we're hoping will appeal to people. There's a T-shirt, the kind of classic T-shirt. Um, with the, I say classic as in it has the old style characters on it and then we've got a couple hoodies that you can get um, uh, well it's one hoodie but you can get it in different, a couple different colors same with the t-shirt and that has sort of the newer style characters on it and we've got a keychain that's um, really adorable the wise man in the carrot suit on the key, uh, little vinyl figure that was actually Uh, requested by some fan on Facebook. They said, oh, I would die for a wise man keychain. I thought, oh, that's a fun <laughs> idea. Okay, we'll do that too. Cool. And we've got some Toe Jam Mineral posters. And um, uh, what else? You know, we actually, this is kind of a news flash because I haven't told this to anybody yet, but um, we are going to be making an announcement probably right as soon as I get off of this. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let, let us... Yeah. Share the, the news with us. <laughs> you are the first to hear. Exclusively yeah, on Radio see. Sega. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then, um, two, two new things. One is um, a uh, bunch of people have been asking for a physical box copy of the game mm -hmm. and we've decided to we've done some research and we've decided to go ahead and offer that but make it even more exciting by making it a Kickstarter only exclusive sort of collectible item that's going to have the uh, game CD and uh, a music CD of all the game music awesome. and a 24 page color manual and hint book and some uh, buttons, little four pack of Pujamero buttons and a refrigerator magnet and a like welcome to Funkatron postcard. So there's all this great collectible stuff and of course the, even the box itself and the art on the box and um, it's we're only going to offer that through Kickstarter so um, uh, and that's going to be we're going to introduce a new tier so mm -hmm. um, and we're also going to have it available as an add-on so it's going to be um, $40 as an add-on And then it's going to be, um, we're going to introduce a new tier uh, about, we don't, we have a big jump right now that jumps from 250 to 500 and a lot of our um, uh, fans have been saying, 
that they'd like a tier in between that. So we're just going to put a, a tier at um, 300. And, um, cool. uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's, so a, that's a wise that's, decision. Isn't that neat? I, that's, yeah. I, I'm excited about that. Um, and, I you think, know, uh, I, w- I was going to say, before you mentioned that, I was going to say the, the physical rewards are actually a great idea uh, for the 90s people with all the nostalgia feels about the game. So I think, and now that you have the, the physical game and the buttons and the soundtrack and everything, it's an even awesomer idea. Yeah, you know, one thing I, we hadn't thought about, too, is um, a lot of people overseas, it's sort of more difficult for them to get the digital downloads for a variety of reasons. So, um, uh, like, some fans in Brazil were saying that they really, really wanted physical copies because the digital getting it digitally was difficult. So, hopefully because this will Texas, solve that I think, right? for a lot of those people. Um, yeah. And... Um, yeah, uh, just a, just a little warning too. There is some additional uh, international uh, shipping costs too for the, uh, all the add-ons, including this one. Um, so that's a, li- a little bit more. And then um, and then the other thing we're going to be doing that's kind of uh, fun news is a lot of fans have been asking for um, a, original Toe Jam and Earl concept art. Because uh, there's a lot of collectors out there. Mm-hmm. I, as you can imagine, um, it's pretty rare and limited. I I have a box of, <laughs> of artwork, but not that many. Certainly not enough that I can um, make them available for sale or give them out to a lot of people. But we're going to have a Twitch stream uh, on the last day of our campaign. Ooh. And... Um, yeah, and during that Twitch stream, we'll be giving away uh, stuff, including um, some artwork, uh, original artwork done by um, Nathan, the fellow that's done all the work you've, all the artwork you've seen so far for the new game. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got some a few pieces of great fan art that, um, um, like this one papercraft thing, beautiful Toe Jam and Earl thing, and then some original Game One, Two, and Three concept art that's. Um, you know, one of a kind, um, the, just the original drawings. So uh, that'll be exciting, I think, for a lot of um, Toe Jam Girl fans. I think so. I think so. That's great news. So all the more reasons to uh, pledge <laughs> in this Kickstarter project. Help Greg out um, with this this new Toe Jam Girl game. Um, one one uh, we're getting over our time limit we agreed on an hour but yeah it's it's over that uh <laughs> i don't want to hold you up uh, that oh that's much. okay i appreciate that it's um yeah that's fine that's fine i, I, I just wanted I'm always oh I, I just wanted to mention something that uh that a few people uh on the radio sega forums and uh actually we've been talking about this on our radio shows for quite some time now um a few people have mentioned uh, and I know you've updated uh, this part of the, the, the project. A few people mentioned the, the graphical style of this new game. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people weren't too happy about the, the way the game looked. Uh, from the screens you, you shared on the, the Kickstarter page. Uh, you've mentioned uh, on Kickstarter that there can be some changes. So there was... You've posted a few different options of... Uh, graphical style to the game and stuff. Um, 
What do you think will happen when to the physical to the the, the final version of the game? What what style will you go with? Will it be more cartoonish, uh, realistic? Yeah, you know, it's one of the nice things about Kickstarter. Um, uh, I mean, it's um, <laughs> it's not, it's not always nice, but mostly it's nice because uh, you often get more than you ask for. Um, but um, and some of it's not always expressed in the m most um, <laughs> polite or courteous way. Nevertheless, uh, it is all good feedback, and we and um, and it's really. Uh, a good thing to be able to get early feedback from the people you're building the game for. So, yeah, we got some feedback that basically was not too surprising. It was, uh, hey, we want the game to look more like the original. Hmm. Why? Um, well, it's it looks too. Mostly the colors look too saturated. I mean, yeah. too desaturated, and mm -hmm. uh, we and the, you know the textures, and we'd like the sky to look more like outer space, and we want. You know, people kind of want to relive their original experience. So, um, also some of the criticism uh, and uh, constructive criticism that we got was, "Hey, the the 2D sprites we don't work. Uh, we feel like uh, that well with the 3D terrain that you've got going on." And um, we reminded people that it was uh, an early prototype that we. Um, basically built as much as we could afford to build before we went to Kickstarter and the reason we're there on Kickstarter is in order to get funding so we can continue. Um, some some games at larger companies have the luxury of building, you know, half their game before they go on to Kickstarter. We um, we didn't. We're very small and don't have a lot of resources so that was the best we could do. Um, uh, Uh, so, you know, we, we had the camera moving all around in ways that we never intended to in the game, and you can see the sprites from the side often, or ways that make them look kind of flat and weird against the, the 3D terrain. Yeah. But um, we did some other things to try to make the, um, you know, our fans um, feel heard and to incorporate the suggestions that we were getting, so we you know, put outlines around the terrain um, and try to unify the look in addition to make changing the palettes and the textures and all of that. And the fans seem um, generally very happy with it. You know, most of the feedback we got was, yay, this is 100% better. <laughs> and so I think we're on the right path. You know, I'm sure there'll mm -hmm. be some more changes as we go, but um, I think, uh, you know, some people like the retro comics look and some people don't. And that's another thing that you just have to sort of grit your teeth a little bit because you can't please everybody, you know. That's and true, that's true. Some people don't want it to change at all from the original look. They're like, why, did, why didn't you just take the original look and res it up? And, um, and I, I just don't want to do that. You know, I wanted to do bring some kind of fresh new reimagining to it. And um, so... Yeah, at some point you just gotta kind of trust in your own creative vision too, and know that hey, if people like what you make and they love the game because you made it, then make a game that you believe in. You know? Yeah, that's I think that's the most important thing in these kinds of cases because you can't please any everyone. So yeah, you have right. to stop trying to. <laughs> 
Yeah. I know you end up running in circles, kind of, if you do too much of that. But it's a bit of a balance. You wanna, you wanna really listen to it, and sometimes you even have to, have to kind of apply a mental filter to hear the constructive stuff underneath all of the uh, rudeness <laughs> and the raging <laughs> some of the fans do. What uh, on the internet? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's rudeness. Right. That's oh. The internet. oh. Surely you're you're just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we just um, Mr. Mixaplex just sent us uh, another question. Uh, he asked if you wanted to uh, have any other Sega, Sega character or characters uh, crossover into the Tojum Inner World. So not knows not uh, that's not going to happen probably on this new game. But if you did you ever think about that? Uh, Having another Sega character in a Toad Geminal game? Oh, um, well, no, I haven't really because, like you just said, it's um, it's not really even a possibility. So I don't spend much time thinking about things that aren't um, aren't aren't possible. Um, you know, I don't own those characters. Uh, uh, I don't. Mark Borsanger and I only own Toad Jam and Earl. So um, uh, I I could approach Sega and ask them if I could license those characters for them, and then of course it immediately becomes a question of of dollars and how much will I pay them, and then they want a percentage of the back end revenue, and you know you get into all of that, and when you're a little indie developer like me, <laughs> you you know that's not really what you can't afford to do that kind of thing, so. Um, yeah, but you know, theoretically, if you yeah, were if asked, it were the possible, question though. is more just like, hey, yeah. if you could have them for free, and would you want to do that exactly. as a fun like thought exercise? Then, um, then I think sure, yeah, that that might be fun to have little cameos here and there. I probably wouldn't make them um, main characters or anything, but um, just in terms of Sega fans who might get a kick out of it, it would be. Um, It might be fun to have a, you know, character pop up at one, you know, some points and um, have uh, <laughs> they have Sonic run across the screen. There's no way on earth we'd ever be able to have Sonic in our game without uh, giving Sega half of our revenue or more. But, but yeah, uh, anyway, Mr. Mixoplex is saying you know, Alex Kidd in Funkatron World. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what kind of contract he has. He, he probably doesn't own Echo, but if he did, then maybe uh, we could have Echo swimming around in the, <laughs> in the water. So Jam riding Echo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people have asked about Earthworm Jim, actually. He, um, oh. Yeah, cause, because that game... Um, had such a similar sense of humor and mm -hmm. craziness. I think a lot of people that like um, Toe Jam and Earl uh, were fans of that game as well. Another one is Parappa the Rapper. They, a lot of people, uh, you know, it's the same uh, audience that like that game, and some fans have asked if we could uh, use that character. And again, you know, there's no reason why uh, consumers and gaming fans would know why any of this stuff works the way it works but basically there's i can't just go use characters you know they, <laughs> yeah they, it, it, 
without a lot of legal licensing fees and it's a big money talk and then you have it's not even just money then you have to get all these approvals for how you use the character and they have to approve every piece of artwork they have veto power if they own the ip and it becomes uh just very very complicated mm -hmm. yeah makes sense so but who knows who knows in the future fun question no, i like the question sure yeah um are you familiar with the the recently released uh, sega 3d classics on the nintendo 3ds they're releasing uh, a bunch of uh, really, I, I, I'll not beyond hearing about it. I did hear about it, but I don't know even what's in that in the set. Yeah, so they're they're releasing. They released Echo actually, uh, Switch Rage, Sonic One, uh, Space Harrier, Ultron, Fantasy Zone. Uh, would you uh, be up for if they approached you for that? I don't know if they if they have to, but would you be interested in releasing? Uh, Tocha Mineral, the original one, or uh, the second one, as a 3D remastered game? Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's not just me. Um, I'm only the co-owner of the property. Yeah. Mark Borsanger would have to approve of anything as well. So I can't really speak for him, but um, I can tell you as far as I'm concerned, um, yeah, the more the better. You know, I think, um, I know I would love to see... Um, the characters out there in in compilations especially in the you know the original games getting out is in any way that's possible um and uh yeah you know when uh, sega approached us and asked us if um they could license the games again and put them out on um xbox live and psn and um you know the nintendo store and steam we said great absolutely there's and and um You know, you've probably heard about uh, that story of them almost being in um, the, um, uh, what was it, the racer? Uh, the Sonic and All-Stars Racing transformed? Or? Yeah, yeah, right, All-Stars Racing. Yeah. yeah. And that was um, that was a little bit of a bummer that that <laughs> didn't work out. We, I was looking forward to that happening, but that kind of got bogged down in a lot of uh, legal stuff that just... Um, ended up making it, uh, we missed kind of the window of opportunity there. Um, and, um, you know, and, uh, and that kind of stuff happens too when you're in the middle of making another game. As much as I would like to see that happen, it's hard to pull your attention off of, uh, you know, your current deadlines and get on the phone with uh, legal people to work out what who owns what right when, you know, you've got you've to make your deadlines for the game you're working on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but, but, so yeah, the answer is yeah. I'd love, I'd, I'd love it if that, the more the better. Oh yeah, there's another game, a friend um, is doing, um, Mike Micah, who runs a game company called Other Ocean, they just, they released a game called iDarb, um, that's a real uh, fun, fun jumper, platformy, pixely retro game, and, um, Jam and Earl might be in that. We've, we've told him that he's, they're free to use our characters oh, there. Interesting. Yeah. That's, the, that's the Xbox One game, right? No. Um, I, you know, I know it's on. I know it's on the PC. I'm not sure what else it's on. That's the, that's what I saw it on, but I don't know um, what other platforms take. I'm guessing they're putting it on all um, all the different consoles. Those guys are kind of a really great. 
great at that. Mm-hmm. One of the the house recording so yeah look forward to that to general fans uh, <laughs> and I'm sure Greg will let everyone know through the, the social media when that happens so uh, before we let you go uh, we don't have a uh, we usually have something called the second launch challenge uh, but due to time constraints I wasn't able to <laughs> put something together for, for tonight's show So you'll definitely have to come back uh, during when the, the game is almost done, so you can <laughs> <laughs> so we can have the Sega Launch Challenge with, with you, Greg. Um, sure. That, <laughs> What is that? It, it can be anything. It's a challenge. So we have our guests <laughs> okay. go through a challenge. It can be in reverse music, or you can you may have to answer some questions. You may have to sing. It, it, it can be Uh-oh. anything. Yeah, it can <laughs> okay. be anything. But instead of that, um, let's. I, I propose we end this interview with some quick shots. It's not a drinking game for the last time. Don't ask me if this is a drinking game. It's not. Although we can do, we can make it work as a drinking game as well. Uh, <laughs> but we, why, we just <laughs> we why? just we just mention some words and you say the first thing that comes to your head. Okay. Yeah. You mean me? Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> so I just I just say some words and you just. And Mr. Mixelplex is saying, Casey, it is. Is it a drinking game? No, it's not a drinking game. Ah, people. So, uh, it's, it's a fun game, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I'll, I'll say something and you say the first thing that pops in you. Okay? Okay. So, Jam. Earl. Earl. Big. <laughs> um, Sega. Sorry, that. <laughs> Sega Genesis. Fans. Tojam. <laughs> that's what's in my head right now. Fans, Tojam and Earl. Uh, very close link together. Uh, Kickstarter. Oh, tired. <laughs> Space. Funkatron. Uh, uh, Final Fantasy. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, funk. Oh, gosh. <laughs> funky. Uh, no, get down. <laughs> Bless processing. What? It's a marketing tool that Sega used <laughs> back in the 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, they, uh, they said the Genesis had less processing. So. Okay. Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> question mark. What I think is is a, a good answer to that. <laughs> to, to be fair, I think it's how everyone felt when they first heard about less processing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so that that's it. I just have one final question uh, for you, Greg. Um, before we go and before we play, we actually will end the, the show with. The new theme song of Toe Earl Back in the Groove. But before that, um, something that I, I, I remember while, while researching for this interview. Uh, if Toe Jam and Earl were real, and I'm not saying they, they aren't, if they were real, um, and imagine they, they came, came down here to, to Earth on this day and age, what would they think of, of everything? <laughs> What do they 
what would they say, what would they think, what, how would they feel about what's going on in the world right now? Mm. <laughs> well, it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't be completely overwhelmed. I think uh, Earl is pretty unflappable, you know, and I don't think it would phase him, but I think, um, uh, 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 and I think Tojam would spin his wheels trying to figure it all out, um, but I think that the, just the sensory overload and, and the, um, would be kind of too much for those guys because they're kind of pure, pure hearts in a way, you know, they're simple characters and, um, They probably just turned the music up as loud as they could make it uh, when they couldn't take it anymore and, um, and hope that that solved the problem. And if they didn't, they'd probably hop in their rocket ship and jet out. Uh, you know, cause, uh, yeah, I think it'd probably just be kind of too much for them. I think so. <laughs> We'd scare all the aliens away, so... Okay, so that was a, a really good answer. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say to your fans, to people listening to us, any final words, parting shots, whatever? Um, well, just a big thank you again to you guys. Uh, it's really, uh, I really appreciate you uh, helping me get the word out with a Kickstarter. And, you know, and it's fun just to reminisce and get nostalgic uh, you asked a bunch of good questions and it's it's always fun to be asked things I haven't asked been asked before uh, because uh, you know I feel like I've forgotten all this stuff but once you ask questions and we start talking stuff just kind of pops up and that's um, that's fun for me and hopefully it's fun for Toja Mineral fans out there to, to hear new little tidbits if they can sit through all of the endless rambling and um, <laughs> run on sentences that I know I tend to do uh, but that's so thank you and thanks to everybody for hanging in there if you stuck it out through this whole interview I'm impressed and um, yeah and I hope you'll enjoy the new game I'm gonna give it my best and make it as fun and funky and crazy as I can with uh, all the same original spirit and kind of light-hearted cooperative play so um, yeah So and, thanks. And I, in this one like. hour and a half, uh, people have pledged thousand dollars more. Nice, nice. Right, well, maybe we'll make it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's going to be a close one. I think it's going to be probably right down to the wire. But um, I'm I'm optimistic. I have a feeling we'll we'll cross the line. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So everyone go. Uh, pledge and back this project, this amazing project because we want to see Tojam and Earl back in the groove and although my wallet isn't very happy, I do want my uh, <laughs> uh, my figures so, and, and the game of course so, <laughs> go pledge <laughs> uh, we'll, right. we'll share the link on, on Twitter so uh, yeah. you, can, you can also follow that and check it out for yourself Okay, Greg, thank you so much again for, for being with us tonight. And, um, you know, whenever you want to be on the show again, uh, maybe in a few months when the, the game is almost finished or something, you can uh, let us know and we'll be glad to have you on the second lounge again. Awesome. That'd okay. be great. And 
So uh, we'll. Uh, this is this is the end of the show as well. We have another show coming on Radio Sega tonight. Uh, I think in about uh, one hour. So at 11 p.m. GMT because of the, the time travels that already happened in America. Um, it, yeah. It's usually <laughs> at midnight, but I think it's an hour early tonight. So don't forget to tune in for the RSN Live. Uh, with voice in about an hour and we'll be back next week with another guest and some more interesting questions or maybe not who knows uh, <laughs> we will have a special show um, this Saturday though to uh, celebrate the ninth anniversary of Radio Sega so we will be back this Saturday at 8pm GMT again uh, that's um, 1pm Pacific I think and 5pm? No, 4pm Eastern? Tony? How, how do you time? Uh, <laughs> I think it's 4pm Pacific. Uh, so, on Saturday. Right before uh, Saturday Night Sega. And if you want to share your memories of uh, these past 9 years of Radio Sega awesomeness, you're free to join us for another edition of the Sega Lounge this Saturday. If not, uh, it's okay. We'll be back next week with another guest. So, we leave you with um, the Toe Jam and Earl rap, the new theme song to Toe Jam and Earl Back in the Groove by Tonas the Prince and Greg, Bra Greg Brown. Okay. I'm saying this right. Aren't I, Greg? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, know, you know, Portuguese yeah. man and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> I've been KC. We've uh, had Greg on the show, and on the other side of the world, there's been a beautiful man called Tommy. He wishes, he wishes I was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, thank you for joining us, and uh, keep listening to Radio Sega, because we play the best Sega music 24-7. Bye-bye! Bye! Ready to jail. Alright, let's do this. Come on. My name is Toe Jam. And I'm Big Earl. Mm -hmm. We come from outer space. Whoa. Oh, oh. We crashed down on this planet. It was an accident. This is a crazy place. Hey, hey. Tell them Toe Jam. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Get funky.
we coming at you from Funkatron. Funkatron. And you, you need to chill it out. Let me talk to him. Tell him. Look, T-O to the E, jamming on the beat. And now with Big Earl, make him stand to their feet. Uh, uh crash landed on this strange planet. Trying to find a piece, but this place is gigantic. Running from the bees and dodging all the moles. Somebody tried to run me over with a lawnmower. <laughs> Maybe all it needs a little funk. Maybe that's all they need. These crazy earthlings stressing out this crazy world is upside down You know that little funky sound is all we need here Uh, uh, yeah You gotta feel the funk from Funkatron Come on, shake your thing and get it on You can't hate when you're feeling the funk, yo Just let it go in the funky flow For listening to the Sega Lounge. The show will be available in podcast form shortly. Download it from RadioSega.net, the iTunes Store, or stream it on Stitcher. Join us again next week for another episode of the Sega Lounge, only on Radio Sega.